we have intentionally set up the order of the night so that our learning environments are active learning environments. So you've spent a week studying on your own, then you come and discuss with other women because we find that learning in community is the best way to learn. And then we're gonna end the night with some teaching. The point of the teaching is just to try to take the passage and point out a few things along the way. I like to call it, since we're studying Jonah, it's kind of like in Chicago, they do the boat architectural tours, if anyone has taken those point out some things along the way, and then hopefully answer a few questions, um, fill in the gaps a little bit, and point you to Jesus. So that's the hope for tonight. Um, let's just pray and ask that the Lord would speak through this time. Father, thank you uh, for tonight. Thank you for your word. God, it is very humbling to stand up here um, with your word open in front of these women. And I do not take it lightly. God, I trust that your word will not um, come back void, that you have done a work and you are working in our midst. Um, God, would you speak through me tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you have grown up in church, and if you're like me, when I hear Jonah, you might think of this, which is the flannel graph of a whale. If I had an old green flannel board, I would just put it up there for you, but I don't. Um, you might think of that, and honestly, growing up, I thought Jonah was a story of a disobedient guy and a great fish, or a great whale specifically. But as we spend time in God's word, we see that the story of Jonah is actually about a great God and a great merciful God. So tonight we're gonna unwrap and look at three things. If you're a note taker, here's your three things. I'm gonna give it to you right off the bat. Jonah being sent, Jonah's storm, and Jonah's salvation. So let's look at Jonah 1 and get right into Jonah being sent. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. The book opens like most other books of prophecy. If you um, were able to watch the intro video, you know that uh, this is a very common way to open prophecies. If you weren't able to watch the intro video, I would highly recommend it. Uh, we were able to kind of set the book up for you. So take some time and watch that. Um, but it starts off and says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and God says, arise, get up, Jonah. And you know in your studying, we marked all of those up arise, and you probably thought, why am I doing this? But repetitive words in any passage you want to take note of, and this is going to be a common theme throughout the whole book. So God says, get up and go, and the purpose that God tells Jonah to go is to call out against the Ninevites, 
the evil that is happening there. So we're going to spend a lot of time on Jonah being sent. But before we get there, why did God send Jonah? God sent Jonah because he cares for all people. God doesn't just care for the Israelites. His heart is for every nation, tribe, and tongue to know him. And he has a merciful heart for all people. He's not partial to what nation you're from, what skin color, whether you're rich or poor, your job or marital status. God cares for all, and he had mercy for the Ninevites. So that is why God sent Jonah to the Ninevites. But we quickly see that Jonah flees. He doesn't go. And before we throw rocks at Jonah, let's just put ourselves in Jonah's shoes a little bit. So imagine Jonah gets the message, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of their enemy nation, Assyria. So this is not just some town that uh, Jonah's like, oh, it's a gross town. I just don't really feel like going to it. It's kind of dirty. Or I don't really like those people. I mean, he didn't like them, but eh, I don't know. Or it wasn't even just the fact that it was too far away. No, this, this city was an evil city. This is an enemy territory. He's being called into this enemy territory, and he knows this is dangerous. A lot of commentators relate it to as if a Jewish priest in World War II were to be sent into a German city and call out against it, doom and destruction for all the evil they were doing against the Jews. Could you imagine? That Jewish priest would last two minutes before getting arrested or even killed. And this is very similar for Jonah's time to be sent into Nineveh. It is for sure he's going to get some jail time or worse, tortured or killed. So he would have heard this and thought, no way, that's crazy. I'm terrified. We don't know exactly what he was thinking but we do get a little bit of a glimpse into his heart. Fast forward in Jonah 4.2, and it says, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh for fear that God would be merciful to them, to his enemies. And I don't want to camp out here too long because we're going to talk about it in a few weeks. But what we see Jonah doing is Jonah is othering the Ninevites. When we other someone, it's the them versus us mentality. This is so prevalent right now in our day and age. He's othering them He's saying, I'm against them. We are all guilty of this in one way, shape, or another. And Jonah is only thinking of, no way, God. 
you could not give them mercy. And maybe he feared even the response of the Israelites. If he came back to the Israelites and said, hey, I just went to Nineveh and told them about the mercy of God, and they actually believed. Because that would be fearful for him to come back to his Israelite family and then go, you did what? So we don't know exactly all of the thoughts. We can only guess what he was thinking when he fled, when he ran. But what we do know is that our actions are an overflow of what's in our heart. And Jonah's actions right then and there was showing something that was going on deep inside his heart. Because Jonah ultimately, he didn't trust God's good plan. He didn't trust in God's mercy. Jonah trusted in his own plan, his own desires, and so he thought, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to run. God's not going to show those people mercy. So Jonah decides to take matters into his hands, and he flees, and he goes down to Joppa. And what happens? It says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and oh, he found a ship going to Tarshish. Isn't it interesting when we are so desperate to th take things into our own hands that we start running, we run from the Lord, from our community, from other believers. We pull ourselves out of all of those environments and it just so happens that there's an easy way out. Satan always provides just an, a little easy way out. And do not be deceived by those easy way outs. Those are not signs from God saying, it's okay, you can live with your boyfriend because you got kicked out of your dorm for a week. Or, it's okay, you don't, you don't need to study for that test, you can cheat on that. Those are not signs from the Lord. We have to be grounded in truth in God's word to know what is truth and what do we need to be rooted in. It is God's word. So Jonah just found a ship and he headed his way towards Tarshish, but Jonah's no couldn't thwart God's plan. Jonah's running could not thwart God's sovereignty because God knew just the people that he wanted Jonah to meet. But even in our disobedience, when we are running, God uses any means possible to get us back on track. And for Jonah, it was a storm. Now, he got on that boat, and I don't know much about sailing or boating, but what I do know is my dad owned a sailboat when I was a kid, a really little sailboat, and all I remember about sailing with him was it's a lot of work. It's not like, oh, let's just go sailing and sit on the boat. No, it's like, get up, get down, pull this, do this, you know, just constant moving. Um, the other, only other time I've had 
any type of interaction with sailors or sailing is three years ago, Jake and I took an anniversary trip to Seattle. You guys have heard about it in a couple of Jake's sermons. It was an amazing trip. One of the days we decided to travel further north to the northwest tip of Washington. It's called Anacortes. It's a port town. And in this port town, my uncle Tim lives on a sailboat. Before you get this beautiful picture in your mind of a yacht and a bedroom and everything, no, it's a sailboat that's been winterized that he lives under the tarp. This guy is a rough dude, and he is, he's legit. Um, <laughs> he has endearingly named his boat Freebird, if that gives you any indication of the type of person he is. Um, I love my Uncle Tim. He um, needs to know Jesus, and I pray for him often. But Uncle Tim took us around the whole day, showed us the port town, we ended our day with one of his best friends named Tom and his wife. Now, Tom is also a sailor. He's about 60 years old, from what I could guess, and he sails daily with his wife and his daughter. Um, that morning, they actually caught a bunch of prawn that we actually ate that night. Wonderful experience. I spent the evening listening to Tom and my Uncle Tim tell story after story. And I learned two things about sailors. One, sailors love stories. They love to tell stories and they love to share all of their adventures, the crazy storms they've been through. And they love to ask you questions about your life, which my life is not interesting compared to their stories. And two, Sailors are tough men. As I sat and listened to their stories, I was just blown away. I had no idea uh, that anyone could live through some of those adventures. Tom actually sailed multiple times from Washington to Southeast Asia on his sailboat. One of the times actually meeting his wife in Southeast Asia, bringing her back to America and marrying her. Um, Crazy. So yeah, that's tough in and of itself. But what I haven't shared about Tom is Tom has one functioning arm. So he sailed halfway across the world with one arm. I, I couldn't sail with two arms, let alone one. So sailors are tough. Why do I tell you this? Because in my mind, as I go into this to this account of Jonah getting on the boat, this is what I have in mind. Picturing these men are tough men. But what we see in verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Let's pause. You marked great in the Bible study. Isn't this interesting that God called Jonah to a great city? And when Jonah said no, God gave him a great storm. So, he hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. This had to have been a really intense storm for the sailors to be afraid. These were 
traveled men. They are so afraid. They're calling out to each one of their own gods. They serve individual gods in that time. And likely, this is like hurricane-like winds. So this is an intense storm. They call out to their gods to no avail, and then what do they do? They start throwing over cargo as fast as they can. In In those days, when you throw out cargo, you're just trying to lighten this ship. You're trying to get rid of as much as you can before the ship just capsizes. And someone starts throwing out cargo in the bottom of the ship, and who do they find? Jonah asleep. Now, I don't know why Jonah's sleeping. Maybe he's exhausted from running, or maybe he's depressed, or maybe he just doesn't care. We don't know. Maybe he just lays down and says, God, take me. I don't care. We don't know, but what we do know is that the captain comes down and wakes him up, right? And the captain says, what does the captain say? He says, arise. Now, isn't that interesting that he uses the same word that God used? It's pretty interesting when God uses unbelievers sometimes in our life to get our attention. So Jonah wakes up, and they cast lots to see, okay, who's at fault for this storm? Remember in Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot lands on Jonah, which Jonah should have known. It was going to land on him. And in sailor fashion, what do they do? They start asking him questions. Just like Uncle Tim and Tom, they're like, we got to know who this guy is. But more importantly, they were trying to ask him, they want to know who this God is. Because remember, each sailor called out to their own individual God. So they're going, what God are we dealing with here? And they ask him these questions. Now, you guys wrote out these questions in your study time. They ask him some pretty common questions. Today, if I met someone, I might ask some similar questions. What do you do for a living? Where are you from? And the most common way to answer those questions is to answer the questions, right? But Jonah doesn't do that. Jonah answers only the last question that they ask. He goes right to, he says, I'm a Hebrew. And I think this reveals something about Jonah's heart. I think this reveals what he cares most about and where he finds his identity, Because we see often in storms that our identity is revealed real fast. Because in suffering and storms in our life, the things that we cling to, the comforts in our life, they're all stripped away. And very quickly, our identity is revealed and what we grasp at for worth is revealed very quickly. And for him... It's his nationality. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I will not go to them. So the sailors say, okay, so you're a Hebrew. And then he goes on to say, I serve what? The Lord who made the dry land and the sea. Uh Uh-oh. They're terrified because what did they just find out? 
He's running from the God who made the sea, and they are like, no way. What do we do? They ask him, what do we do? And the pagan sailors find out the only response is to be for Jonah to be thrown in to the waters. But in their kindness, they don't want to do that. They don't want to throw Jonah in because they know that if they threw Jonah in, that's certain death. They know that. So these pagan sailors care more about Jonah's well-being in this moment than the prophet of God, Jonah himself, cared for the well-being of the Ninevites and even the well-being of those sailors. That's really humbling to see in God's word. A prophet of God is outdone by pagan sailors. This really struck me this week, and I've prayed a lot that we as a church would not be outdone by the world in loving and caring for those around us? Would we not be outdone in caring for the well-being of those around us? The sailors cared for Jonah, so they rode harder and it didn't work. So finally they call out to the Lord and they say, please forgive us, and they throw Jonah in. And what a sight to see what happens. The storm ceased from raging And they fear the Lord exceedingly. It says in verse 15, they picked Jonah up, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, if you noticed earlier, they're asking Jonah about what God he serves. Little g, God. And when they call out to the Lord, they're calling him Yahweh. This is a call of faith. They are calling out to the one true God, Yahweh, and placing their faith in God. Jonah's no couldn't circumnavigate God's will for these sailors' life or even Jonah's life. In Jonah's disobedience, God used his disobedience to sovereignly work in these sailors' lives, and they came to have a faith-filled call upon the Lord. So let's just pause for a moment and talk about storms. So Jonah was sent. Jonah went through this storm, but Jonah's storm was a literal storm. But sometimes in our life, we have figurative storms, and we know in life that all storms are a result of sin in general, but some storms are a result of sin specifically. Let me explain it this way. We live in a broken world, so suffering in our world is directly related to our world being broken, but sometimes suffering in our life is a, re- a direct result to our disobedience and sin. And sometimes it's not. Tim Keller says that every act of disobedience to God 
has a storm attached to it. You only pray that the storm is shortly after the disobedience so it doesn't take you too long to get back on track. But he also says later on, most often though, the storms of life come upon us not as consequences of a particular sin, but as unavoidable consequences of living in a fallen, troubled world. So what happens when you encounter a storm? In this size of a room, I am guaranteed that some of you are walking through storms right now. What, what do you do when you encounter a storm? The first thing would be to fall humbly on your knees before the Lord and say, God, is there any unconfessed sin that I need to repent of? That simple question. Most often, it's probably no. So I don't want you to walk out here thinking, there's a storm in my life, what did I do? That's not true. But it is a good question to ask. If the answer is no, then what can we do? We can trust that this storm has passed through the sovereign, loving hand of God and that he's in control and he's working, just like this storm in Jonah's story. Think about it this way. These sailors had to endure the same storm that was caused by Jonah's sin, but yet God used that storm to save the sailors. Does that make sense? So it was not a result of their sin. It was a result of Jonah's sin, but yet God used it in their life. God is working in our midst. So Jonah was tossed into the waves expecting to die, and God in his mercy sent a fish. The chapter ends in a really peculiar way. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The end. The miracle of God appointing a fish, this word appointed is actually uh, the word for created. God created this fish. Maybe he was created, maybe this fish was created only for this task. We don't know. God is powerful enough to do that. But God saved Jonah. Jonah was sent. He was redirected by a storm and he was saved. But you see, there was another man who was sent to his enemies, who was sent to the other. He was made like the other and died for the other. And that man was Jesus. Jesus left his rightful place next to God in heaven. And if you remember, if you did the Philippians 2, or Philippians study, you remember in Philippians 2, it says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was sent. Jesus was also in a storm. If you were reading this and you go, Man, this makes me think of a time that Jesus was in a storm. That's a good indicator. You're right. 
In Mark 4.35, Jesus was also in a storm. And the similarities are pretty astounding. You could go on your own and study Mark 4 and see the similarities. There was similar storms. Both Jonah and Jesus are asleep in the bottom of the boat. Both of them are awakened by their passengers. But then the similarities stop because Jonah says, throw me into the waves and it'll stop. And Jesus stands up and just speaks over the waves and they stop. And you might think, why didn't Jesus have to be thrown into the waves for them to be stopped? Well, he didn't then because he had power over the waves to stop them, but he did later. Because Jesus is the greater Jonah, and Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath on our behalf. He was tossed into the waves of God's wrath instead of us so that the waves of God's mercy could cover us. While we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. Christ entered the storm of God's wrath on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. So tonight, as we read Jonah 1, would our eyes be lifted to the greater Jonah and like Luke 11.30 says, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the, sign, the Son of Man be the sign to this generation. So today, if you are like the sailors, and you're hearing of this merciful God, and you think, man, it's just clicking. I get it now. Call out to the Lord Ask him for salvation. He will give it. If you don't know how, if you have more questions, the ladies at your circle would gladly answer those questions, talk with you, come find me or Christina afterwards. If you have received the mercy and the salvation of the Lord, and maybe you're like Jonah and you need to repent of othering some, someone or a group of people, repent or maybe you realize, man, I'm finding my identity in something other than who Christ calls me. Repent of that also. Or maybe you're in a storm tonight and you just need to be reminded that God is working. God is in control. He is at work. You are not alone. He's right there with you. So before I pray, I'd like to leave you with this. If you are in a storm I pray that these words of one of my most favorite old hymns would be a balm to your soul. It goes like this. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you care for all people. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and you give it to all. God, I pray that you would do a work through your word, that we would be changed people, that we would love the people around us, that we would serve you, that we would be open 
that our eyes would not be closed to those around us, that we would not other people, but see them as you see them, a God who cares. Thank you, Lord, for the storms that you bring in our lives to redirect us, to sanctify us, to mold us. We trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.